Anyway, I was preparing for this sermon. I was thinking about uh, loving life. Um, and, you know, what we mean by loving life and what the world means by loving life. So I did some uh, looking at, at what the, the good life is. Um, I looked at the hashtag good life. Um, pulled some pictures uh, down. So we can see the beach. That's good. And someone thinks smoking something is good. Um, <laughs> Nice cup of coffee and a little journal. That's good. No roller coasters, but. Um, then I also found a simple path to wealth. You know, what's, what's wrong with that? Another cup of coffee. Coffee is popular. Um, a sunset and some flowers. That's good. Another sunset. And then there was a lot of food pictures. But this one was very cute, so I just had to, to throw that up there. Um, and these are all things that the world thinks are uh, constitute a good life. Um, and there's, you know, most of these things there's nothing wrong with in their place. And I can see, you know, if you look at these pictures, you see um, peace, you know, as a connotation of peace. You see pleasure. Um, you see people figuring out how to be self-fulfilled, how to get wealth. Uh, but because it's from social media, you also see things that people think are going to make other people envy them. Um, and so this sort of tells you what the goal of the good life is in the world that we live in. It's to be happy, to be you know, fulfilled, to find your meaning, and to have other people want what you have. Um, now, besides that last piece, that sounds pretty good. So, you know, what's, what's wrong with it? Uh, the thing that's wrong with it is it's separated from God. A loving life, and to love life, you have to be in relationship with God. So that's what we're going to talk about today. First, we're going to talk about loving life. Then we're going to talk about loving the loser. Um, and that's not in a sort of cosmic sense, but in the sense of, of people in our society who are uh, considered less than. And then finally, we're going to talk a little bit about loving the Lord your God, because none of this is possible without loving God. That is the end goal and the foundation of our faith. So loving life, uh, we're going to go all the way back to the very, very, very beginning. Um, I'm calling it back to basics. Genesis 1, uh, 24 to 31. So if you can, let's stand together and read this. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, 
I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So what we see here, I'm sorry, we can sit now. I'll just, Lord, I just pray that you will um, bless this uh, message that you've called me to bring here this morning. You'll speak through your spirit to everyone's heart here, and that you will create order out of the chaos of uh, my mind, um, which is what you do in this universe, Lord. You create order out of chaos. Amen. So we see God engaged in this, uh, you know, unimaginable, majestic uh, work of creation. You know, everything from uh, stars and galaxies and supernovas, neutron stars, you know, down to the tiniest detail of the nostril of a shrew and amoebas, and he's weaving this all together. And he, he creates this entire universe, and then he creates the earth, and he fills it with living creatures. And everything that he creates, he sees as good. The word for good in this passage is tov. And tov doesn't mean exactly um, what me, we mean when we say good. Uh, it means something more like well-made, right, fitting, appropriate, or as it should be. Uh, just to give you a little more um, insight into to what this means, in the next chapter, uh, it says that God sees that the man is, is um, alone and that it's not good, and that is lotov, or not good. So for a man to, to be alone and not in relationship, as God is in relationship, is not right. It's not fitting. It's not as it should be. So he makes the woman so they'll be in relationship together, be in partnership, just as God is in partnership. Um, I also want to say that he creates the people the very last after he's created everything else in this creation. Um, and this whole time he's calling it, he's calling it Tov. He's calling it good. He sees it. God is the one who sees. Um, and what he sees is what is. And he sees it and it is good. But then after he creates uh, man and woman, he creates humanity, he says it's very good. It's tov miod. So this is something like it's uh, completely right. It's perfect. Uh, you might say it's on point. Um, and so this is this creation and everything that is in it. And then he puts man over it. So not over it to exploit it, uh, to dominate it, um, but over it to manage it, to love it, to nurture it, just as he is over us to love us and nurture us. And this is a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. It's a life that is easy to love because it is in harmony. It's in harmony with God. It's in harmony with creation. It's in harmony with each other. You know, sometimes 
we might want the story to end there. Um, but it doesn't end there. There's a loss of innocence. This is Adam and Eve leaving the garden, leaving this beautiful Tov Miod order um, after they've rebelled. There's uh, a passage that Brother Chris uh, preached on probably about six months ago um, where there's a, a ruler who comes up to Jesus. So this, this is after the story we've just talked about. This is millennia later, um, maybe billions of years. I'm not going to take a position. Uh, but this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, and they have a bit of repartee back and forth. But the first thing that happens is this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, calls him good teacher. And Jesus responds to him, there's no one good but God. So something's happened between these two things. Um, Because originally, the whole of creation was great to call very good, complete, as it should be, right. And now, it's only God that is good. So there's been a separation. There's a, a problem that we see here. So tragically, uh, humanity doubted God, and we rebelled against him. So what had been a perfect union in a perfect world became a broken relationship in a fallen world. See, we were created to live and rule over a perfect creation in community with God, but instead we now live in a broken world, alienated from God and each other. The Bible uses in different passages a lot of different words to describe this state that we're in, uh, lost, dead, orphaned, uh, objects of wrath. And uh, we all feel this, whether we know it or not. Romans 8, 22 and 23, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So we all feel this. I don't know, some of you may not be familiar with the groans of childbirth. Some people are more intimately familiar with them than I am. Um, but, you know, something has got to happen when there are groans of childbirth. It is not a steady state uh, situation. Um, and we all feel this, that things are not as they should be. Things need to go somewhere else because the original Tov Miod, the completely good creation that God has created, is corrupted. And we live in it. And we, who are created to be in communion with God, perfect community and harmony with God, are now not. And that's painful. The state of, of wrongness, uh, or low tov, not right, is a constant pain. So if you're a human, you're made in the image of God. And so we find ourselves miserable and desperate trying to make sense of a world that doesn't make sense to us anymore. We try to create order and chaos when order can only be created with God. But even though we know things aren't right, without God, we can't make them right. We can't get back to God without God's help. And the rebellion and the doubt that led us away from God in the beginning still lives in us. The world in its lostness and pride looks for solutions outside of God that lead further away from God. Pursuing the good life 
becomes something that kills. And I, I just want to be clear about this. I think many of the times that we see this happen, people think that they're doing good things. Almost everybody is always trying to do what they think is good. People are trying to make a good society or orderly society. Um, this is going to be a little bit abstract, but you uh, history buffs will find this interesting. Genghis Khan uh, terrorized the entire known world during his life uh, time, riding uh, all over Europe and Asia, uh, besieging cities and pillaging them and sacking them and killing people. Um, and you know what he said about this? He said, um, if you had not sinned greatly, God would not have sent me upon you. Everybody has an apologetic. <clears throat> so, Gigas Khan's one example. Maybe the earliest clear example, the Tower of Babel, an attempt to create order, to achieve equality with God, and regain what was lost um, without God. But then you see people seeking power throughout history. Um, you've got Darius the Great, Alexander the Great. Um, you've got Queen Elizabeth who all ruled empires that went across the world and created order in a fashion, but also a lot of bloodshed. Then you see people trying to get money, trying to secure the bag. Um, You got Midas up there, who's, you know, I'm going to guess he's mythological, but the story is told of him that everything he touched turned to gold, just what he wished for. And then he touched his own daughter, she turned to gold, and he regretted that wish. Um, you got Mansa Musa up here, who was the ruler of the Mali Empire in the uh, 14th century. They don't know exactly how much money he had, but they think it's something like $500 billion in today's um, and, uh, money. And he went all over, um, conquering different cities and converting them to Islam, trying to create order in his own way. And then this last guy uh, is Bernard Arnault, who is the richest person in the world today. Uh, he's a French guy who owns a bunch of brands. Um, so these are solutions that we look to. We got money, we got power, and then we think we'll get the respect. Um, but not from God. And then we have the American way. We live in a more civilized time. We are enlightened. We are engaged in a great project called the pursuit of happiness. Our culture believes that everyone should have the freedom to pursue a fulfilled life, whatever that means to them, as long as they don't hurt anyone else. In our cultural moment, many of the things that we do are done in the name of freedom, and many of the terrible things that we do. Now, don't get me wrong, I love freedom. And I believe there's a very strong case that God loves freedom, too. Just to illustrate what what I mean by that, he personally undertook a heavy weight of suffering. This is God, the God of the universe, decided to suffer in order to give us freedom by giving us the ability to make the decision to rebel against him. Knowing that that would lead to him having to sacrifice his son. So we should not take freedom lightly. But without God, worshipped as an end in itself, pursuing it leads to horrors. 
There was a popular pro-abortion slogan when I was younger, every child a wanted child. It sounds pretty good when you first hear it. Don't we want every child to be wanted? But the slogan isn't really honest. It should have been, kill every child who is not wanted. See, the culture teaches us that we need to have the freedom to solve our own problems to get to a good life, even if it costs an innocent life. We knew a girl from Philadelphia. She was involved with Christian ministry, and she went away to college. We learned that she was pregnant and considering an abortion. Uh, Sarah, my wife, talked to her a few times. She was trying to persuade her of her child's worth. But the way that she saw it, her chance to have a meaningful life meant finishing college. And having a baby would have prevented that from happening. So she made the decision to end her child's life. Because I believe she had been discipled by our culture to believe that there was a way to live a good life and that having an abortion was the right sacrifice to get her there. She individually made that decision, but I don't think it's correct to think of it as an individual making an individual decision. Because millions of women and men participate in decisions like this every year. They are pulled by a strong current, a riptide that pulls towards death in exchange for the freedom to pursue happiness. I know a little bit about this pressure myself because my oldest daughter, um, Sophie, um, was conceived when I was 18 and a freshman in college, which was a bit of a shock to me. Um, we weren't married, uh, and I felt like my life was over. So, But through the grace of God, the intervention of the Holy Spirit, and because I had been discipled since I was a child to value life, we made the decision to have her. But I don't think that's according to my virtue. That's because I was discipled in a certain way. We live in a culture that's discipling people in other ways. So it's our job in our lives, in our preaching and teaching, to disciple people in the tov way, the good way, the right way. I'm going to skip this part. Well, I'm just going to speak on this very briefly because it affects um, children with disabilities as well. Um, Reports came out in 2017 that Iceland had eliminated Down syndrome by aborting every baby who had it. And Down syndrome is is, uh, considered a problem, not really for those who have it, as they often live happy, fulfilled lives, but for their parents. So in order that the parents may pursue happiness, of course, this is under the expert guidance of the medical community, so there are other people discipling people in this. The lives of children with Down syndrome have been ended before they had a chance to take their first breath. And when you see how often this happens, so these are the rates in these different countries of the a number of kids who are aborted when they're diagnosed with Down syndrome before they're born. It's 98% in Denmark, 90% in the United Kingdom. 
It's hard to look at that as people making individual decisions as much as it is uh, people being discipled by an entire culture that sees there being certain solutions that we should follow for the problems that we have. The Bible talks about us being slaves to sin. Freedom to do wrong is not true freedom. And many people are trapped in a belief that wrong is right. But I just want to say this morning... And and this is really important. True freedom is possible. If you are listening to this and you have participated in the decision to have an abortion, as a father, either passively by not being there, or actively by encouraging the mother to have an abortion, or as a mother, you should know that there is forgiveness. We all need redemption. The redemption that is for every one of God's sons and daughters is for you. We are all broken, lost, damaged by sin, and in need of healing. So if you're carrying this burden this morning, I encourage you not to leave without finding someone to pray with you and be unburdened. You should grasp onto the redemption that God has prepared for you. There's something else that we're seeing more um, nowadays, which is medically-assisted suicide. So this is a mirror image to abortion in some ways. The thinking goes from those who are um, advocating for these policies that if consent is required for a woman to carry a child from conception to birth, then consent should also be required for a person to go on living. That is... People should have the freedom to die. If life isn't working out for you, then why should you be forced to keep pursuing it? And this avenue, when it's opened up, is often used by the oppressed, the downtrodden, the poor, and the disabled. Because if life is just the pursuit of happiness, then when you reach the conclusion that the pursuit isn't going anywhere, then why why would you uh, keep going down that road? And I know I'm taking a lot of twists and turns, but I'm going to take another one um, and ask you to, to just give me a little bit, of, little bit of room. There's a similar issue with identity. The passage we read this morning tells us that maleness and femaleness are not social constructions or self-determined identities. They are ways in which we have been created in the image of God. Being male and female is not a secondary attribute like height or hair color. It is a part of how God created us in his very image. I find this beautiful and fascinating. Um, I won't pretend to fully understand it, but even exploring it would be a sermon series in itself, so we're not going to go down that road. We'll just say that God created us men and women. There's a current view that we can't say that how you are born defines your gender because that takes away your freedom and can prevent you from being happy. Instead, it holds that we ought to be able to decide on our genders in a way that feels right for the pursuit of happiness. I wasn't going to touch upon this today, but I was talking to my daughter, and she pointed out something that I think it is, is very important. It's often those people who feel like their lives, and she, she's in this more than I am, she's younger, should be obvious, um, <laughs> but... Uh, 
she sees that it's the kids around her who don't feel like their life is going in the right direction already, who, who pursue these avenues. It's a strong feeling that something is low tove, not right, not as it should be, that motivates people. Those who want to identify as a different gender or as non-binary aren't necessarily making a conscious decision to rebel against God and his created order. Rather, they feel like something very fundamental has to change. And so they look to change something that is very fundamental. They're right that something has to change. They're just choosing the wrong target. So, it's our job to help them see what the right target is. The right target is a lot bigger. It's a broken relationship with God and his creation. The very good tov miod, God created, corrupted by sin and its effects. And this is the basic truth that we must contend with. We live in a world in which relationship and order is broken. There are many things that we can look at to show us that this is true. The criminal justice system, the education system, the wars that are waged around the world, the things that I spoke about before. But we don't have the power in ourselves to fix these things. And this is the reason that Christ came, to redeem the great work of his Father through sacrifice. And this is the difference between the way the world tries to create good and then the way we are called to try to create good. Because our faith is faith in the power of redemption. Redemption means that God is fixing what has been broken. And he is using us, once again, brought into relationship with him to fix those things. And especially, we should focus on this redemption where the world says it isn't possible or it isn't worth it. Not sure how I'm going to make this play. Wait, maybe it is? Not going to play? Not going to do it. All right. I'll tell you what happens here. Um, So this guy is a part owner of the Golden State Warriors. His name is uh, Kamath, and I can't pronounce his last name. Um, He's a billionaire. People just call him Kamath. I'm not the only one, just because like I'm an Anglo. But um, he is saying in this video, he's being interviewed, and the guy says, like, well, what do you think about the Uyghurs? And he's like, I don't care about the Uyghurs. And the guy's like, what? You don't care about the Uyghurs? How can you not care about the Uyghurs? These are people being um, oppressed in Western China, the Uyghurs. Um, Should have started with that. But anyway, it's an oppressed people group. And he's saying he doesn't care about their oppression, And the guy's like, how can you not care about him? And so this is him saying, it's below my line. It's below my line. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, this is an ugly truth. Nobody cares about the Uyghurs. You might care about the Uyghurs, which is why you're bringing it up. But nobody cares about the Uyghurs. It's below my line of the things that I'm going to do anything about. And this is a very powerful individual with a lot of resources. that's what he's saying. And this, I mean... I think this is the way a lot of people think. This is the way a lot of people think. This is the way our culture thinks. He's just saying it because he has a billion dollars and doesn't care what anybody says. 
Um, it's our job to disagree with that. And so that's why I'm saying love the losers. Not because people actually are losers, but because every society has a social ordering system and there are people who are at the bottom, who are below the line. And in that sense, they've lost. And that is the reason why the world presents solutions that are anti-life. Because if a life is below the line, what's the world willing to sacrifice for it? And if you want to figure out who these people are, uh, the best way is to look around and see who we are imprisoning, who's being aborted, whose education have we given up on, who is most likely to be seen as someone who is not going to live a worthwhile life. In our culture, statistically, that is poor people and people of color. So if you're going to love life, the God way, the Tov way, you can't accept what society says about them. You have to fight against what you have been taught about their worth because we are all being discipled constantly to agree with what our culture says about life, that it's about individuals making meaning or finding happiness and those who either won't succeed in that journey or get in the way of others succeeding in that journey are expendable. That's not what we believe. We believe in redemption. We believe in redemption with God. The Tov way understands that our lives have no meaning apart from God. In Psalm 16, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The meaning that we have in God is communing with him and bringing others into that communion. We have no idea who will bring the most glory to the kingdom of God. The hall of faith has rogues, liars, cowards, and swindlers. We do know that we are called to the least, and we are the least. We're trying to bring more of the least into the kingdom with us, because we're the people who need the redemption. And we desire to see the image of God redeemed in everyone. We want to see the testimony of God's light shining through their lives. There are no unwanted children in the kingdom of God. We desire to see the people alive and people thrive. So, I know that's a lot. And I hope you're not too confused. Um, but, let's talk about what, we, what this means for us in terms of application. I think the first and most important, and if this is the only thing you take away from this today, then I think the Holy Spirit will be doing uh, the work that um, he sent me here to do. The first thing is we have to fight with ourselves. We have to ask God for eyes to see as he sees. And we have to repent of the ways in which we have agreed with the world when it is called people worthless especially as we have believed arguments which have allowed us to get comfortable with anti-life practices. I'm going to mention two, which I'm hoping, hoping will make almost everyone upset so I can't be accused of partiality. If you have said either of these things, even if only in your own mind, 
you may need to spend some time repenting. So the first is, maybe if you lean more to the conservative side of the spectrum in our, in our uh, culture, have you said the main problem that people of color have in America is a cultural lack of respect for education and hard work? Have you ignored oppression as a cause? Or, if you identify more as a progressive, have you said that making sure people have lives that are worth living is the first priority over preventing them from losing their lives in abortion? Both of these statements show a callous heart that puts conditions on recognizing the image of God in your fellow human. If you have thought these, you may have been more discipled by the world than by God in these matters. And this is a challenge to all of us, because we need to recognize that we live in this world. The world encourages us to value what people can achieve, what money they can earn, what level of education they can attain. We have to consistently repent of agreeing with the world and refocus on seeing and valuing people with God-redeemed eyes. There's a story, I always get Elisha and Elijah mixed up, but I think it's Elisha, where he's in a city and they're surrounded by enemies. Um, And his servant says, you know, like, I think we're in pretty big trouble here, uh, guy. Um, And uh, Elisha prays to God that he would open his servant's eyes. And his eyes are opened up and he sees there are heavenly hosts and flaming chariots surrounding them, defending them in the city. And this is the same way that we need God to open our eyes when we look at other people. Because this is what, about like what Larry was talking about last week. There's another reality. There's another reality. This physical reality is only part of that reality. That's the real reality. There's a spiritual reality. And it looks different. It looks different. We... We need God to open our eyes to see that reality. It's not natural to us. And then we have to ask God what he has specifically called us to do in our own lives. To fight for the good fight for life, for the good life, for Tov. So I know that some people in this church who are in the role of encouraging women who are considering abortion to have compassion and see the preciousness of their child. Maybe you're, there's numerous people in here who have um, disabled children and, or maybe there's a disabled adult that you care for. And you have to let go of resentment and grumbling and love them. Maybe you are an educator and one of the few voices in your students' lives telling them that they're sacred. And that's discouraging. And you might look at it and say, this is pointless, I should give up. But what you need to do is not give up. Maybe it's just that you need to take a look at your neighbor, who is very annoying, and see them as someone who is in need of redemption, not just a problem in your life. So, I know this is a lot, um, and it uh, can be heavy, it can feel like a burden, and I want to encourage you in two ways before we end. Um, one, the first thing I want to say is that we shouldn't focus on our own failings 
or the pain in the world before we focus on God. The first commandment is love the Lord your God. That's our main problem and our main instruction. So that's the first thing to do is put your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on the cross. Spend time with God and bask in the redemption that he prepared for you. The second thing that I want to say is um, that you can't do it alone. And you're not supposed to do it alone. So I think sometimes we can feel like, oh, we're sinners, so we need God. And that is true, but it's not fully true. Because the fact is, we're humans, so we need God. We were never created not to be in communion with God. We were created to be with God. So these tasks that we you know, are trying to pursue, it's not just that we you know, sinned and fell away from God, so we need God's help. It's that there's nothing that we should do that we can do apart from God. And in this passage, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and this isn't John when he keeps telling them confusing things. Um, but what I want to focus on is, he says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So you have been given the Holy Spirit. You've been called into union with God. And so that these things that we're talking about today, loving life in all circumstances, fighting against our culture's message that some lives are not worth it, some lives are below the line, you have the power to do that through the redemption of the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the helper that he sent. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for bringing us here uh, together this morning. I thank you for your tremendous grace that you give to us, that we can talk about things that are uh, difficult, that are a challenge to us. We can let you search our hearts. And we can do that without fear, knowing that you love us and that you desire so very much to be unified with us, Lord, that you are willing to sacrifice your very son to do so. So, Lord, I just pray that you'll, be, you'll bless us and keep us and be with us this day. We pray these things in your name. Amen.